Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mino Line Media presents Business of the Beat. Hi, I'm Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, and I am a founder, brand builder, entrepreneur, and believe in the mantra, Carpe Diem. I created this podcast, Business of the Beat, through my own experience as a beauty executive to talk about, tell stories, and highlight the business of beauty through conversations with beauty and wellness entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, helping to diversify the industry. This week on Business of the Beat. It's client-oriented, and so if your client needs you, you're there. You know, if it's a long weekend and someone needs something, then your long weekend is whatever plans you had, whatever town you thought you were going to, whatever beachside, like those plans could be changed so quickly. And so I just, from a lifestyle perspective, I realized that I didn't see that as sort of where I wanted to land and build a life. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Kendra Bracken Ferguson, and welcome to Business of the Beat. Today's guest is Desiree Verdejo, CEO and founder of Hyperskin. But before we get started, don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. It means so much to us. All right. Attorney turned entrepreneur, Desiree created Hyperskin after battling for years with hormonal acne and hyperpigmentation. She was unimpressed by the lack of skincare brands that celebrated skin tones and skin types like her own. So she set out to build a hyper-inclusive brand that hyper-targets under-addressed skincare concerns. Introducing Hyperskin, a brand that is rooted in realness. It's really multicultural, centering real skin and realistic standards and their hardworking formulas to deliver real results. Hyperskin is setting new standards for modern clinical skincare. It's been featured in Birdie, Forbes, Bazaar, Vanity Fair, Elle, Huda Beauty, and most recently won an award with Cosmo. Hyperskin is sold at hyperskin.com and at Sephora. Desiree, welcome to Business of the Beat. I am so excited to have you on the show. I cannot wait to talk about you and your success and more importantly, Hyperskin. Welcome. Thank you. I'm super excited about this conversation. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I've been waiting and waiting and like Hyperskin, all the rage, all the awards. You recently just had an award that we want to hear all about. And I just love to hear about you. You know, I'm already your mom, which we kind of talked about the kids running around Um, an entrepreneur. (laughs) You were a lawyer. So tell us everything. Yeah. Um, busy, busy. Um, but hyperskin is taking up a lot of my time and focus and energy. And I'm very excited about, what we're growing there. Um, and yeah, the awards, the awards make it fun. I don't think we um, stopped as a team and especially as a founder and, and spend time, you know, really taking in the awards because we're always sort of moving on to the next thing. But um, this is the season. We recently won a Cosmopolitan Award for Best Mask 
which is exciting because our mask is our most recent product. And we've certainly won awards mm-hmm. from Birdie and Self and some other publications for um, best dark spot treatment. Um, Hyperskin's um, dark spot serum is, is definitely by far our hero product and the one that our customers and the editorial community rave about. So um, so yeah, it's yes. exciting. I love the, the customer um, stamps of approval, but it's nice to get it from the editors yes. too. Because, you know, they're trying a lot of stuff. So when they're a fan, it, it does mean a lot. Oh, yeah. I saw Julie Wilson, like, all over your yeah. comments and the excitement. <laughs> yeah. And, and it is, you know, it's really important that we think about our customers, but we also have to have the support of our community. And that is invaluable whenever you couple the two. So I want to go back a little bit and yeah. talk about you, Desiree, as the person, because you've made this leap. But what was your, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Did you want to be a lawyer? Oh, Tell wow. us about your journey. Yeah. <laughs> growing up, I wanted to be an important businesswoman. And like, like when I was a teenager, a young adult, I think like that, I envisioned myself in a corner office with like a blue suit, a great view. Like that was the vision. I don't know that I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to look and feel like. And I think I still move in that way. I know what I want things to sort of look and feel like. I studied business and went to law school. And um, I've always been really drawn to business. And so I knew that I would take the corporate route. And um, I ended up practicing as a corporate attorney, um, as a finance attorney, for seven years in New York City. Um, Yeah, some of the things that I thought I would love, I didn't. So I didn't necessarily love as a, as yeah. So I did not necessarily love going to an office every day. Um, I did not necessarily love the blue and gray suits. They actually got a little old after a while, but yeah, that was sort of, that was, that was where I, you know, you couldn't tell me that that wasn't where I was meant to be when I was, you know, a teenager and in my early twenties. And so I'm grateful to have like had that journey um, as a big law attorney. I met so many like dynamic people. Some of my best friends are are lawyers that I made, you know, friends that I made in law school and as a practicing attorney. But um, after a few years, I realized that that's a really specific lifestyle. Um, you know, a lot of hours demanded in big law. And I don't know that I necessarily define success that way. Like I've worked so much and so I've done well. Um, you're definitely, it's client oriented. And so if your client needs you, you're there. You know, if it's a long weekend and someone needs something, then okay. your long weekend is whatever plans you had, whatever town you thought you were going to, whatever beachside, like those plans could be changed so quickly. And so I just, from a lifestyle perspective, I realized that I didn't see that as sort of where I wanted to land and build a life. Um, so Big law wasn't for me, but it's such great experience. And the people that like I met on that journey, I'm super grateful to still like have relationships with. Well, and the relationship piece is so key because all our worlds end up being kind of interconnected and they all rely on relationships. Like Definitely. that's what enables us to, you know, pick up the phone and say, I need help here. What do you think about this? And there's a few things that you talked about whenever you were kind of thinking, I don't know what it look and, looks and feels like, but I know I want to be a business person. Where where did you live and what kind of environment were you in where business was such a focus? Because 
and I asked because my daughter just wrote this this kind of like, who do you want to be? And she's like, my mom, and she works, and it's so fascinating, and all these things. And I'm like, because she sees me. So what was your, it's fun, right? I was like, so what was your environment like that kind of made you see business as the course? And like, even where did you live when you first started practicing law? Yeah. So that's, it's interesting. I love that for your daughter. And I I pray for that for my five-year-old daughter, um, that she loves seeing Mm -hmm. what I do and and is able to see what I do. Um, Growing up though, I was not actually raised around um, entrepreneurs. I was raised around, my family is very safe, I guess, is what I learned. And I learned it the hard way when I decided to leave law to transition to the entrepreneurial world. I um, was raised in a family of, you know, I've worked at this company for 20 years. Um, Like, I think most of my aunts and uncles, they can compete on how long they've sort of worked for the bank in which they work or the organization for which they work. And so that is actually, you know, the environment that I was raised in, the sort of work your way to the top um, in the corporate arena, in a bank, et cetera. So, um, yeah, transitioning from a top law firm to doing my own thing was did not go over well, was not well understood, um, and I wasn't necessarily emulating something that I'd seen. It was very much gut-based and, and um kind of from outside of my family and and where, where, you know, I was just excited by social media and what I was seeing in publications about people starting businesses um, and the success that they had and and the contributions they were making. Um, But in my own world, it was was definitely rare. Um, When I was a practicing attorney, I'm a native New Yorker. I went to law school in DC and then moved back to New York City um, first to the West Village, um, because I'm from Harlem and so wanted something different and the West Village felt very different than Harlem. Um, and after sort of popping around New York City, Brooklyn, et cetera, I actually ended up back in, back in Harlem when I um, transitioned <laughs> to becoming an entrepreneur. Something about just knowing the community and the makeup of the community and the streets um, my first business was a brick and mortar business. And so all of that was really important, kind of knowing the roots and knowing knowing it in and out. And so I ended up back in, in Harlem when I made a transition from being a lawyer to opening my first business, which was a boutique. And that ultimately led to Hyper. Wow, I love this. It's so funny because when we moved to New York from college, we were kind of like all around Brooklyn and we lived on West Worth and Bleecker. Oh. And it's such an it's right interesting. Where I live. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Oh my god! I literally I yeah. Call it Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> I was party like, town. This is Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, you have to go every single night because you just don't have it. You can't even get home without going out. So yeah, you might as you well, might as well pop. You might as well like pop in somewhere. Yeah, it's definitely the place you live when you're in that stage where you're going out every night. Once you stop going out every night, that at least at least that specific location, which is exactly where I lived, doesn't make as much sense. But dinner, drink, something. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. Like I love. New York for all that it is when I was like a young entrepreneur, like hustling and the 14 years I spent there. And then it's like, now I'm fortunate because I go back um, every month, nice. sometimes more than that, but it just has such a different energy and purpose and for why I'm being there. And yeah. so I completely understand. And even 
with Harlem, like having roots in Harlem, I've just been doing some work with Harlem Village and there's so much richness and culture and innovation. So it makes sense when you think about kind of your first brick and mortar going back to your roots. So talk about this, this transition because you say like even listening to the family and the long-term kind of sustainability that they had in corporate, and then you raise your hand and you say, I'm going to do something else. What was that inspiration? What was that pivotal moment? And you saying with confidence, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So I think we're talking about like 2015. And so social media, I feel like was newer and Now I think we have this expectation that we have so much access to people. But I think just a few years ago, it felt so new to see, to be able to like look online and see someone building something and watch something grow. Um, And at the time, um, the space, I was paying attention to the natural hair space. I never intended to create a natural hair business, but I was just so fascinated by the Black woman creating in that space and really filling a void that spoke directly to me and just thriving. I think um, seeing that was so inspiring. And at that time, I felt like I wanted to create a business that was connected to and supportive of what I saw happening there, of these beautiful brands that were really speaking directly to customers. And I didn't see like retailers sort of speaking directly to customers in a way that was consistent with the brands. Of course, this is now seven years ago and the retail space is is changing drastically. But um, at that time, I felt like there needed to be retail that sort of was sort of as direct and beautifully done and and um, as catering to an audience as the brands. Um, And so ended up opening a boutique in Harlem and doing just that, not only with natural hair, but skincare, cosmetics and other sort of beauty products that um, spoke to our audience. Wow. And how, you know, it's, it's fascinating because you do talk about 2015 and the difference between um, we had a guest on who talked about uh, entrepreneurs on social media and entrepreneurs in real life and that there is a difference between. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It it looks very different. It looks very different. Yeah. It does. And now I appreciate that for sure. And even with my first business, I did appreciate that. But I do think that um, the day to day does look different. I mean, dramatically different. But I think what I did, what I was excited by was sort of what they were carving out. And I think that's very real and who they were speaking to and how they were speaking to black and brown folks directly and differently. And I think that, um, the day to day social media is 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 not the best place to gauge what one's day looks like, and that's in a lot of categories because I see a lot of talk about you know joining the tech arena and joining big law, and there are so many opportunities and great salaries and benefits. But the day to day on social media is not what you see. But um, I think the space that they were carving out, um, I was so excited by, and I'm still excited to be a part of it now in the skincare arena. And the excitement is because we just get to see so much Mm -hmm. like social media connects us across like race, gender, um, socioeconomic, geography. It's fascinating whenever you get to be part of that. And I love to hear you say how excited you are because we have to be driven by our excitement and our passion to keep going when it's hard. And so when you think about 
the rewind to having brick and mortar and what you were creating, what was that journey like? And how did you evolve into the step of brand, your own brand? Yeah. So um, the evolution happened, I'd say pretty naturally. It's interesting because I went in this space very drawn to what was happening in the natural hair arena. And there were a lot of developments over that time in the makeup space. So many great brands um, came about and we carried many of them in our space. And um, I personally have acne prone skin, have always had acne prone skin. And so I um, curated a really thoughtful skincare space. And what I realized was that um, although skincare wasn't being discussed, and the issues of my customer base, which was largely black and brown, but very diverse, um, they weren't being discussed in the media, on social media, in publications, but they were so common. They were so prevalent. I was hearing the same thing every day. And I was so disappointed by the way I was hearing the issues being tackled. And my customer base, and I, I like, I can't say this eloquently or loudly or clearly enough. Like my customer base was so savvy, so like globally minded. So like had so much access to like great options, which is why I love like catering to them and shopping for them and, and providing them with, with solutions. And so to hear what people were concocting and the way they were trying to like solve their most pressing skincare issues, I realized that this is not it. Like this is not the way we should have to sort of pick and choose between brands and sort of try to make our own serums and oils at home. Like we're way beyond this when it comes to what what we're capable of making. And so it became very clear that we needed brilliant skincare to match the issues that are so common amongst our community. You know, that is so profound that we are just so capable of doing so much more and what we need having the access and the ability to go from, let me concoct something that may or may not harm me to the ability to go to a shelf, to go to a .com and say, this was crafted for me by someone who experiences exactly what I'm experiencing based upon skin tone and ethnicity. Yeah, It is really powerful. And I hadn't thought of it that way because we put so much emphasis on this DIY culture, yeah. right? And there's so much emphasis on that and the story that why at this point, we may not have to do all of that or work that hard or, you know, put our face in the hands of something that we may not know to be true, even if it is all natural. And that's really, that's such a defining way to look at it. And I, I love how you talk about that because when you think about hyperskin, and you actually said this before, you talked about making contributions and how important it is to make contributions. So when you think about the evolution of, I now, I had my own issues with skin. I'm going into this space where I want to provide curated products. I'm listening and listening and listening. Yeah. When you think about contributions, what are the contributions that you feel like you're bringing to our community, but also that Hyperskin is bringing and contributing yeah. to the beauty industry? I mean, I think any person that enters the skincare space is, is bringing the contribution of a unique perspective, I imagine. Um, knowledge. Um, I think being in the beauty or beauty arena, I had a level of access to, to editors and other founders, dermatologists, and um, ultimately to a brilliant lab. Um, and I think that access, I 
feel really fortunate and, and privileged to have had that access. And so combining that, um, the contribution of products that really are results oriented and, and um, the effects of that are really strong. The effects of having a major skincare concern resolved, I think really is, is uplifting to an individual. And so, um, so yeah, I think ultimately though, the overall contribution that I want Hyperskin to make is, is, is to just elevate the level of offerings um, in the way that the industry thinks about black and brown folks and their needs, because, um, you know, we're only a two year old brand, but you can see the effects of your success as a small brand in the way that other brands start to speak to your community, start to create similar products for your community, start to create inclusive advertisements and, and campaigns that feel similar in that start to center your community. I um, can see that already as a two-year-old brand and I hope to only elevate that and, and, and hope to only force other brands to sort of rise to the occasion when it comes to inclusivity and results-oriented products for our community. Well, and I love your, your take on it because the impact that you've made, the growth that you've had in the last two years, I mean, it's phenomenal. And there was this article in Beauty Independent, which I know there were so many ways I was like connecting to you. There was this amazing article in Beauty Independent. And you said, being a black owned business, you realize you're better off when there are other successful black founders in the markets that you're trying to penetrate. Yeah. And I think that it's so connected to what you're even saying now. There is this factor of you're having success and people kind of want to try and get in on that. But I like how you talk about realizing that, you know, we need other people in the space so that we can rise. And you also said earlier that the contribution is in the uniqueness of what you're bringing. Yeah. So talk about, you know, when you think about the market, you think about what's happening, where do you see the points of differentiation where do you see the opportunity to really outpace and kind of out accelerate others, you know, cross category or in our category? Yeah, I mean, and I certainly think about beauty cross category because I think that's how our customers think about it. And, and I'm going to go back to 2015 when I entered the beauty space as an entrepreneur. The space was very DIY. Everyone was focused on natural and and organic. And I remember hearing things like, if I can't pronounce it, I'm not putting it on my skin. And um, that's certainly not the ethos of hyper. We're really like geared towards um, effective clinical skincare. But I remember at that time, there was an appreciation that these are all, what were we calling it? Green beauty, natural beauty. Um, I know those are very loose terms with little meaning, but those were the terms we were using. But even within that space, there was an appreciation that Tata Harbor is very different than herbivore. And that these, these brands speak to different customers in different ways. And that even within the demographic of middle-aged white women, for example, they need, there, there are variations. There are, you know, different people that need to be spoken to in different ways. And I am really excited um, for that lens to be brought to the multicultural skincare arena. And that's how I think of it. Um, I don't think that I am speaking to every Black woman or every woman of color or every person of color with my brand, I think that we are speaking in a very targeted way to a very targeted audience and that other brands will, will speak to others in a targeted way. And so um, that's what I'm excited about when it comes to the, the skincare space. And 
I feel like any partner that I have, whether it's a retailer or an investor, like they need to understand that there is a broad audience of black and brown women. And within that, like we're speaking to different sectors of, of that audience. And so that's the view that I've always had. And I realized that that customer is going to shop with us. That customer might be drawn to brands that are not black or brown owns, um, that may not speak to their most pressing skincare needs. They might buy something because it's beautiful or because it has like a key ingredient that is exciting to them. And so it's definitely important to, you know, to think beyond just the multicultural skincare space when you're, when you're thinking about your customer and what, what she or he wants and needs. Well, and, and absolutely. And I love that because we can't be all things to all people. No. And even when we think about market share, right, and growth and really figuring out this is my core consumer. This is who I'm targeting. This is who I know my products work for. Yeah. And it may not have so much of a race lens as a need and necessity lens yeah. based upon what you're trying to solve. And that's what you talked about. You know, it's, you are able to uplift your consumers when you're solving their problems and you have a solution through your brand and staying narrowly targeted in that lane while still knowing that we want to have profitable businesses. So we need market share, but you were right. You were very intentional with your ingredients, which you mentioned, yeah. and you were very intentional with your SKUs and how you launched. Definitely. So talk about, you know, in this, if I need 50 SKUs, you were, you were right there. What was that journey like? And even, how did you identify your chemist? Oh, wow. So those are various things. Um, but I will, I'll, no. hopefully I can bring it all in and answer most of those questions um, yes. in a clear way. I One of the benefits, and I still bring this into hyper in a, in a very different way. Um, one of the benefits I had was watching people shop and listening to the questions they had um, and seeing how people shop when they have a what they consider a true concern. And so while Hyper is like this very bright, poppy brand, joy-inducing is the goal and and um, can be used for many different skin types and skin tones, I really, when I created the products, was focused on making sure that we targeted our, most our customer that felt that a mo oh, pressing skincare concern. So our first product, for example, speaks to hyperpigmentation. That's the first issue that we're tackling. And um, while customer, some customers might use our product because of it's black owned or it's bright or it's beautiful, really we wanted to speak to that customer um, that found that this was their most pressing skincare concern. And, um, and so it was really important for us to focus on making sure that the key ingredients in our first product were really results oriented. Measurable results were really important because I know that that's what's important for that particular customer. Different customers, like I said before, might be drawn to ingredient packaging, celebrity, et cetera. But when you're dealing with a real skincare concern, you're like, show me the BNAs. And <laughs> that's what, yes. like in my, mm -hmm. and on our social media, show me the BNAs on our ads, that's like incredibly important. And so we really, I just basically took what I saw customers saying and asking and poured that into, into our brand in terms of targeting like our neediest customer. And then we went from there to sort of build out a brand that spoke to others because skin cycles. And so at some point you might have acne prone or eczema prone or hyperpigmentation prone skin. And at other times that you might not be dealing with that. And we want our products to fit into your lifestyle. And so 
we made them gentle enough to stick around, beautiful enough to stick around, um, easy enough to use to stick around. But we made sure that in terms of ingredients and chemistry, the results were there for that customer that really is dependent on, you know, really focused on on the results and the effects of products. So um, finding a partner was um, sort of serendipitous because of being in the skincare space at the time when I was very focused on skincare and um, really realized that like, this is something I need to do now. This is something I want to do. And then this is something I can do, which that whole process took months. I met someone that had had the experience of creating some really great um, clinical skincare brands and um, Mm -hmm. just talking with her because I was truly interested. And we both were a sort of beauty, beauty fascinated woman. Um, She provided me with a contact to her lab. And that was my main goal. Um, I wasn't interested in like, there are different things that might draw you to a lab. The minimums, are they organic, et cetera. I wanted a lab that worked incredibly well with actives. I wanted to know where my favorite dermatologists created, brands were created and that sort of thing. And it just happens that I met someone that knew the answer and was able to connect me. Um, and I feel bad when I tell that story because I get a lot, I get asked that a lot. And I'm like, there, there's research you can do. Um, you know, there are websites, but that just sort of fell on my lap, just sort of being beauty obsessed and meeting someone that was, that was excited about the industry. And, and she actually reached out to me, like, what are you doing next? Like, I love your boutique and I am curious to know what you're doing. And that's how we connected. And um, that's how that contact came to be. And it just worked out really wonderfully. Well, I think, you know, it's so interesting. Like sometimes things happen in the way that they're meant to be. Actually, not sometimes, every time. A lot. Like I believe in divine experiences. You know, it's like, it's divine interaction. It's divine timing. And I, I really believe people come into your life for a reason, a season, a lifetime. Yeah. And so we have to embrace those and we have to be open to it. And yes. so it also furthers the notion that this journey is where you're supposed to be. Right. So someone comes in, this is what you want to do. And you have a contact and like, voila, whatever we can do as founders to make sure that we can protect our time and our resources into the things that we need. We just embrace the things that come to us because we know it's part of the larger vision that we want to create. And I love how you talk about um, the BNAs, the before and after, because you are so great at showing that. Like, I'm just like scrolling through the the reviews like, wow, wow. Because to your point, we can be as beautiful. Like you said, you may come because you're bright and poppy, but at the end of the day, it has to work. And so talk about, you are a two-year brand. You have a product that's very intentional that does work. And you started in different retail environments, which is fantastic. And you're also in Sephora. And how did that work? We have so many listeners that are just like, I'm starting a brand. How long is it going to take? How do I even get into retail? How do I know which one? Um, So talk about that process and journey for you. Yeah. um, Yes, I do know that, that state of mind because I feel like I was very recently in it. And so we waited about four or six months before reaching out to retailers, I think just sort of building, kind of fine tuning our story and and understanding who our audience is, because I felt like we had to explain to retailers who you are and, and who your community is. 
Um, and we started with niche retailers, um, the Urban Outfitters and Revolves of the world. And I think that was, I don't know that it was strategic, but I'm glad we started where we started because once we connected and then launched in Sephora, which was for us, it was almost after one year of being in business. That kind of partnership is such a game changer. Like Sephora is a demanding retailer. They're a demanding partner and, you know, they are so many brands within Sephora. And so as it relates to your DTC business, you're always thinking about how to stand out amongst the crowd. And then there is the the work of doing that with your retail partner as well. Um, how to stand out and also like how to partner with this giant entity um, and, Hyper is a is a six person, small, very cozy, very easy to collaborate and connect and communicate. And Sephora is this sort of global giant. And so how did we get to Sephora? Sephora actually reached out to us. Um, we did a bit of reaching out during that stage. I think we reached out to we reached out to Target and Ulta. Sephora reached out to us. We knew where we wanted to be, but wanted to talk to everyone and had the luxury of, of speaking to everyone. But ultimately, I knew Sephora was the best place for us. Um, and it goes back to the way our customers shop. It goes, goes back to the fact that I feel like Sephora, in terms of the clinical brands, Sephora was has always sort of been at the forefront of that. In terms of brand building and building categories, I think Sephora has done that very strongly. And so I um, was excited about the partnership. Um, I don't think, you know, I I shop at other retailers where I might go in and sort of pick something up off the shelf or spend $100 more than I planned. But that's not how I shop for skincare. Like once I buy skincare, I've already like we've become friends. Like I've researched this and, and an esthetician has suggested it and et cetera. So I knew that that sort of shopping experience wasn't for me and my customer. Or at least I found it hard to imagine that like hyper would casually be grabbed off of the shelf, you know? So, um, so yeah, the oh. sort of buildup that hype that Sephora does in terms of reviews and brand building and, you know, strong social, et cetera, just kind of fit the way that we were building ourselves. And so, um, the partnership made sense and they reached out and there was, you know, conversations. We did their accelerate program, um, which was great. <laughs> and, um, if anyone is 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 considering an accelerate program for an entity that is big like Sephora, I know Target has one. I'm not sure about the other retailers offhand, especially if you can foresee that you'll be there in the future. It was very helpful. Um, as a founder, it's so hard to determine like where to spend time, but learning how to move within such a giant entity and who to speak to and how to collaborate with them, I think has led to our success there. Um, because there are, there's outreaches I'll have now that I wouldn't have had if I didn't know, if I hadn't heard, you know, the founder of another brand through the Accelerate program say, you know, this is how I work with my brand marketer. This is how I work with planning to make sure I don't go out of stock, you know, right after they mention us on TikTok. This is how I, um, this, these are the conversations that I have with my buyer that might not have anything to do with your typical buying relationship. So um, yeah, the Accelerate program was great. Um, talking to other founders in that organization, also great. Um, and now we're just really focused on growing in the, within this, this awesome, awesome beauty retail space.
as well as on our own platform. <laughs> well, yes, uh, clearly that yeah. I love that you brought that back in because it's so important and you give such great tips, you know, doing the work. Like we talk about the path to success. I say to my daughter all the time, like, it's not just about being smart and brilliant. It's also about putting in the work and doing yeah. the work. And I love how you talk about the accelerate program because we talk to so many people that just want to jump right in because yeah. they have a product, but understanding and navigating. And, you know, I, I love this. You said, I'm glad we started where we started. And I think that that's so important to have that gratitude for the start because yeah. it leads you into the future. So I should, you know, to be honest, because I do think sometimes you give advice because you've learned, I actually was reluctant to do the Accelerate program. I was like, I already know what they're going to teach me. Um, I'm ready to join the shelves now. So I'm saying this because I had that internal battle. I also was like, I think at the time we maybe only had a three-person team. And I just couldn't imagine how I would have time for a school, um, Sephora school. And so it wasn't, an, it's it's me having done it and now saying, actually, it was worthwhile. Um, but yeah, it, it's not the case that I was so wise. I like... I, there were reasons why I knew I, it might benefit me, but I actually remember initially telling our buyer, who's like the head of clinical skincare, I don't, I think we're, I don't think we need this. Like we've been doing this for six months. I think I know what you're going to tell me and then post that program. <laughs> Women, we're, we're six months in. Um, and then realizing after that program, we like did a brand refresh, a website refresh. There was like, there were so many learnings from that program, you know, met investors, which, you know, the, investors weren't within my personal network, even as a lawyer, like the worlds are so, you know, distinct. And so I was a corporate attorney doing bonds that has nothing to do with VC. And so um, there were so many small benefits, but I think the biggest benefit was um, just understanding how to like navigate and succeed within that space. Um, so definitely glad I, I did it. And I do like to tell other founders to consider um, a targeted accelerate program. Yeah. So that's, that's where we started. And now I feel like we're just growing within that space, which is, is challenging. Um, you know, there are costs there, you know, Sephora has, and every retailer has its own strategy for, for growing a brand, you know, um, for some retailers it's sampling and it's, um, a lot of education and bringing brands in and events. And so, um, whatever your retailer strategy is, just know that it's going to be different than your DTC strategy and it's going to cost <laughs> an additional cost than what you're doing on your own website. And so I think we're in the stage now where we're growing and just sort of accepting that and, and trying to um, manage those two um, demands, you know, different costs, different, you know, teams almost for these two what can be looked at as two different sides of, of a business. You know, it, it is, it's so true. And I love how you said, um, you're like, I've been doing this for six months. Six I months. know it. <laughs> but you were open. <laughs> you're like, I'm in this. But you, you were really open and you provide really great feedback when thinking about retail. Because the amount of people that say, oh, I'm either going to go on Sephora or I'm going to go on Ulta, I'm going to go on CVS. And yeah. you talked about like, and with that, follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love 
to hear from you. Your ratings and reviews mean so much. Until next week. Consumers love discovery. You are so And they do. <laughs> they do. But they discover differently. Yeah. So many people aren't necessarily doing that back-end work to match with the right retailer where they consistently say, here's the why or here's how my consumer shop. So I just wanted to applaud you for that Thank because it, it does strategically align so well with what you've been saying this whole time in terms of intentionality and purpose. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sort of, that thought process was choosing a retailer is I think such a big, your key retailer. And um, there's a small group when it comes to that. Like I, I just felt that was such a pivotal business decision because it, affects how you're creating, you know, going forward. If you're creating for Target, I mean, that's a different price point. It's just a different way of, of thinking. And so, um, so yeah, that was a big decision. And, and now, it, now we, now we grow. Like, <laughs> but yeah. Well, as we start to um, wrap up, I do want to do this rapid fire okay. with you because I think that this is really. Okay. So we're going to get hyped up. Three statements. I want you to finish them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, Here God. we go. Okay. Entrepreneurship. <laughs> You're like, I'm ready. It's all good. <laughs> Entrepreneurship does or doesn't live up to the hype because? At least with a, being a founder that has public products, there's a lot of public support that I don't think people get in other career paths. Ooh, that was a little lengthy. I'm sorry. I, that was long, though. I need to be oh, a little more concise. <laughs> no, I love that. Oh, that's a really good. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> the first moment I got hyped about my business was when? Actually, when we first launched and people bought. Like, not in, you know, comparatively, <laughs> the sales I yeah. are, were not significant, but just the fact that we put something out into the world and if the first sales come from family and friends and work associates. But then when you see a name that you don't know, it's like, wait, someone saw us and they, of all of the skincare products in the world, they bought ours. Like those first sales are like, they were so affirming. Um, yeah. Um, okay. The last one, the review that hyped me up said, Okay, so we, I'm very proud of this. We have about 1,100 reviews on our Dark Spot Serum. And I, I think because it personally resonates with me and because it's what I like aim for, when someone says, I've tried everything, but this one works, I'm like, yep, because I know that feeling. Like, not only am I so like happy that they're saying that for the public to see, but I know that feeling of like, I tried everything. I think this is where we are. I think this is my, this is the skin that I have. So when that, like to give someone that feeling that I personally have experience and, and do experience, it's like incredibly fulfilling um, that like this works. And I now believe that like, you know, my skin can be in the cycle of, of changing and renewing is it's really, really affirming. Oh, I love that. Yes. And it, it, it's true. It's like, if I'm going to put something out there, let my contribution uplift and do what it says. Yeah. So I love that as an answer. Okay, good. So we got hyped. I loved all of those. Thank you so much. Cause it's funny to think about it in such a, like a fast paced. Yeah, moment. it is. And you're like, Oh, <laughs> right. It's like, I had public support. Yeah. Whenever someone first 
my product. It wasn't my mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin, yeah. best friend from middle school. <laughs> <laughs> but grateful for those to you when you're like your junior high school classmate buys yeah. something because they saw it on Facebook. That's amazing to you. But um, that new name is just amazing. <laughs> Well, and to close out, Desiree, I just, you know, I've had such a great time with you. Um, if you can share one brand that you're excited about to build our community yeah. and to, for us all to like learn about another brand. Sure. Um, um, so many. I am excited about Ami Cole. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, my, because I had a boutique and have so many founder friends. I am always shopping sort of indie brands, POC owned brands, black owned brands. Amicole is, is a, like the products are really good. And then the branding is good. So yeah, first one that comes to mind. All right. I love that. And we love Giada and we love the, the roots of Harlem. So oh, yeah, <laughs> Harlem. Hello. There's that too. <laughs> well, Desiree, thank you so much again for sharing your story and your time and really understanding and diving into your consumer and how we should all be thinking about the contributions that we're going to make on this world. So thank you for that. And every week I share an influencer I'm checking out. And this week, thanks to Desiree, make sure that you check out Ami Cole. That's at by Ami Cole, one of our favorites. And if you missed Giada's podcast, Make sure that you go back to season one and check out my discussion with Giada before she launched Amicole as we look at the growth that the brand has had since. It's so exciting and phenomenal. And as always, I want to leave you with one thing from today's guest, and that is understanding what you need to do, what you want to do, and what you can do. I loved that from Desiree. What you need to do, what you want to do, and what you can do as the making of success and a fulfilled entrepreneurial journey and vision. So make sure that you follow, rate, and subscribe to Business of the Beat on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You don't want to miss an episode, and we love, love, love to hear from you. Leave a five-star rating and a review. Until next week. Business of the Beat is hosted by Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, assistant producer Jenny Salk, associate producer Ariel Mancibo, executive producer Kendra Bracken-Ferguson, edited by Fishmar Creative, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business of the Beat podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast, And on IG at Business of the Beat. Business of the Beat is a mean old line media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.